Well, I'd rather be here than any place in the world, hadn't you? My son Eric told me that they are down in the Dominican Republic. He said, I'm going to be worshiping with y'all tomorrow. I know you'd like to be here. When we uh, look at the life of Jesus and his earthly ministry, he was loved by children, pursued by people, but perplexing to the religious leaders. They were astonished, for instance, at his teaching. The Bible says in Mark 6, 2, he began to teach in the synagogue and the many listeners were astonished. When Jesus taught, they wondered, where did he get such wisdom? Where did he get knowledge? Where did he get this insight? After all, he had not been educated in the rabbinic schools. And then, of course, there was the power that was displayed and demonstrated as he raised the dead, healed the sick, did the things that he did. Where did that power come from? And so they had numerous explanations concerning Jesus. There were those who said, well, I think that he is the reincarnation of Elijah, and that would explain his great power, because Elijah was a prophet of power. There were those who said, I think that maybe he is the reincarnation of Jeremiah or one of the lesser prophets. The interesting explanation to me, however, comes from Herod, because Herod believed that Jesus was the reincarnation of John the Baptist. When he began to hear about the teaching of Jesus and the power of Jesus, the influence of Jesus, Herod said, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. So when Herod heard about Jesus, his power, his teaching, he concluded that it must be John the Baptist resurrected. Today I want us to look at the beheading of John. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, beginning in verse number 21. And a strategic day came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guest. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And immediately she came in haste before the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me right away the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guest, he was unwilling to refuse her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard about this, they came and took away his body and laid it in a tomb. Recently, I was reading this passage of Scripture, read it many times, but that phrase, a strategic day, stood out to me. A strategic day. What did that mean? What was going on that caused this to be called a strategic day. 
Then as I began to study the scripture, I was reminded of the seduction of sin. How we are seduced by sin. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that we have an adversary who seduces us, who attacks us. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Albert Barnes commented, Satan opposes man in his best interest. He resists his efforts to do good, his purposes to return to God. So the Bible then says that we have an adversary and the scripture says that our adversary is like a roaring lion. Barnes continued, the lion here is not the crouching lion, but is the raging monarch of the woods, who by his terrible roar would intimidate all so that they might become an easy prey. The scripture says that we have an adversary. He is like a roaring lion who seeks to devour us. The word devour means to swallow. It means to drink in. What I want you to understand, my friend, is that you have an adversary who wants to annihilate you. You have an adversary who wants to drink in, to swallow, to destroy you. And Peter warns us that if we are not diligent, if we are not sober, if we are not careful, if we are not aware, then the lion is going to pounce. In fact, Paul said, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I would imagine there are some of you who think, well, you know, I'm okay. I, I, I can resist temptation. I can resist sin. Well, then you are in a vulnerable position because Paul told us when you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. Let me give you an example of this. You know the sin of David and how he fell into sin. And as I went back and looked at that passage of scripture, I saw the steps of David's fall. First of all, he was in the wrong place. Now remember, Peter says that we are to be watchful. We are to be sober. We are to be vigilant. But when I looked at David, I saw that he was in the wrong place. In 2 Samuel 11, 1, it says, Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle. Now, during the springtime, during that time, it was a time of war. It was the time when kings went to war against each other. But then the scripture continues, But David stayed in Jerusalem. David was not with his army. He was not out to battle. He was not out waging war. The Bible says that he had stayed in Jerusalem and he was not watchful, not aware, not diligent as to what was happening. So the next verse says, Now, when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. I have no reason to believe that this was intentional, something that David intended to do. Perhaps it was hot, he was warm, he got up, he woke up, he went out on the roof. But isn't Satan accommodating when we're not watchful? 
When we are not careful, when we are not diligent, when we are not sober, then Satan is very diligent. And there was a beautiful woman. David was in the wrong place. He asked the wrong question. In 2 Samuel eleven three, David sent and inquired about the woman. Who is that? There's a woman down there bathing. The Bible says that she is very beautiful. David is up here looking down. He sees her down there. Who is that? He asked the wrong question. You see, he should have been reminded of the scriptural admonition that says, flee youthful lust. Don't stand there. Flee youthful lust. And therefore, he had the wrong response. In 2 Samuel eleven four, and David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. Do you see what happened to David? David was not watchful. Satan was. Satan is an adversary walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom to devour. And David was not watchful. Same thing here happened to Herod. Now, Herod was married to Herodias. Hebert wrote, Herodias was the daughter of Aristobulus, a half-brother to Antipas, thus his niece. She had married her uncle, here called Philip, and they had had a daughter named Salome. Now, I know that this sounds like a reality television program, but that, that's what we have there. So, Herodias was married to the brother of Herod. He was able to persuade her to leave his brother and come with him. Now, he was wrong on two counts. First of all, adultery. Both Herod and Herodias were married, so they committed adultery. Secondly, incest, because Herodias was Herod's niece. Hebert said his marriage to Herodias was a crime against his brother as well as his own wife. So as I studied this passage of Scripture, began to look at it, I was reminded of the seduction of sin, how Satan seduces us, how all of this works. And we all are potentially vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. Then in verse number 21, and a strategic day came. What does that mean? A strategic day. Well, the King James Version translates it convenient. Vine says the word means well-timed, to have opportunity. So what I want you to see here is that Herod was in an opportune place for Satan to pounce. Now, the interesting thing to me about Satan's strategy and his temptation to us, it has never changed throughout the ages. It's the same today as it was in the Garden of Eden. Now, how does Satan tempt us? How does it work? Well, the first thing he does is to raise a question about the Word of God, about the veracity of God's Word. In Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1, you see the temptation of Eve. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said... You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Do you see what he's doing there? He is raising a question concerning the veracity of God's word. Did God say that? Is that what he meant to say? There's a question mark. In recent days, I have heard 
a number of people who have taken positions contrary to the Word of God, and they have explained it by saying that they have evolved. Concerning same-sex marriage, the president said that he had evolved in his understanding. Senator Portman said he had evolved in his understanding. When you watch the news, the pundits say that Americans have evolved. Folks, we haven't evolved. We are simply listening to the voice of Satan. Because Satan always begins by questioning the word of God. Did God say? Is that what he meant? Now then, he doesn't stop there. He moves from there, raising a question concerning the truthfulness of the word of God. And then he denies the word of God. In Genesis 3, 4, and the serpent said to the woman, you surely shall not die. See, the, folks, I want you to see this because it is so important. He always begins by raising a question about the truthfulness of God's word. And then after you begin to question the word of God, then he denies the truth of it. You won't die. And then he changes it. In Genesis 3, 5, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Satan says, no, you know, you're not going to die. If you disobey the word of God, you're not going to die. Instead, you're going to be like God. Now, here's the thing. Satan always raises a question about the word of God so that we reject the commands of God so that we reject the truth of God. And that's exactly what happened to Herod. The truth is Satan had Herod set up. Now there was a celebration, verse 21. Strategic day came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. Now this is a, an elaborate birthday celebration. So we're talking about a birthday party says the lords were there. Hebert said the lords, the great ones, were the dignitaries holding high civil offices under Antipas. And then it says that the military commanders were there. Now the military commanders that were there, those spoken of here, were those who were over a thousand men or more. It says the leading men, the important civil leaders of the province. So in this birthday party, the mayor was there, the head of the Chamber of Commerce was there, the president of the university was there, the president of the banks were there. Anyone who was anyone was at this party. So this is a big, elaborate, expensive party that is being held by Herod. But there was also a woman with a bad attitude there. Verse number 19. And Herodias had a grudge against John and wanted to put him to death. Herodias, the wife, hated John. In fact, that literally is translated, she had it in for him. So in this birthday party, in this celebration, in this setting, you had all the dignitaries of the province who were there, but Herodias was there and she hated John and she was willing to sacrifice her own daughter to be able to get to John. That's how much she hated him. Verse 22. When the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. Now, everyone is drunk. Salome comes in, and she dances. Now, normally, the women in these settings were not seen. They were, they were, they were kept away, so they were not seen. 
Josephus says the girl who came in to dance was Salome, who was the daughter of Herodias by her former husband. And according to Josephus, she was about 20 years old at this time. So she danced. Hebert said, such solo dances were grossly suggestive. Pantomimic representations comparable to a striptease act in a modern nightclub. Barnes says it is also probable that the dance was well known in Greece, the, the lascivious and wanton dance of the Ionics. Those who normally did these dances at such parties were prostitutes. They were someone else. This is not the hokey pokey she's doing. It is believed generally that she was naked and after the dance then there was sexual intercourse. That was the dance that was done here. Herod was impressed. Verse number 22. When the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced she pleased Herod and his dinner guest and the king said to the girl ask me for whatever you want I'll give it to you. And he swore to her whatever you ask of me I will give it to you up to half of my kingdom. Herod was impressed with what he had seen. Mae West, you young people won't know Mae West, but your daddies will and your granddaddies will. Mae West said, when women go wrong, men go right after them. That's what you see here. Look at verse 26. And although the king was very sorry, uh-oh, Herod now realizes that he's been caught in a trap. You know, it's like they say, too soon old, too late smart. Well, that was his situation. He was very sorry, but he was trapped. Verse 26, although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. You see, he had given an oath to Salome. He said, anything you want, up to half of my kingdom. Was he not a man of his word? Would he not keep the oath that he had made to her? And then there was the pressure from the dinner guest. All these people are looking at him. What is he going to do? Folks, isn't it amazing? And young people, isn't it amazing the pressure that we feel from our peers? It's what happened to Pilate. When Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate examined him and came back with the conclusion, as far as I'm concerned, he's done nothing wrong. But then the people began to cry out, crucify him, crucify him. If you don't crucify him, then we're going to tell Caesar you're not his friend. And the pressure caused him to turn Jesus over to them. Well, that is Herod. Here he is at a party and his dinner guests are waiting to see what he is going to do at the girl's request. Was he a man of his word? You know, the question that comes to my mind, though, is I think about that. What, have, what if Salome would have asked for the mayor's head? I mean, if the mayor were there, what would he have done? I think he would have probably found a way out. But because it was John the Baptist, he decided to go through with it. So there was a strategic day. Herod was set up and Satan pounced. And then we see the guilt Actually, the story there in verses 21 through 29, our text, is a flashback. Herod had heard about the teaching of Jesus. He had heard about the power of Jesus. He had heard about the influence of Jesus and concluded, 
I think that's John the Baptist. In fact, if you look at verse 14, King Herod heard of it, for his name had become well known, and people were saying John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him, verse 16. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, he said it over and over and over again, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. You know what happened to him? There, he is overcome with guilt. He, he, is, he is reflecting back on his beheading of John the Baptist when he hears about Jesus. And now then he is overcome with guilt. There probably were several contributors to his guilt. First of all, he respected John. That's the reason that he protected him in verse number 19. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she couldn't because Herod protected John the Baptist. He would not allow her to put him to death. He protected him. Hebert said she was not satisfied with John's imprisonment, but craved a revenge which would be satisfied with nothing less than his death. She hated John the Baptist. The commentators that I read said that her hatred for John is compared to Jezebel's hatred for Elijah. You know the story of Elijah when he challenged the prophets of Baal to a contest on Mount Carmel to see whose God was the true God. And uh, whenever they went out, the prophets of Baal prayed and prayed and they prayed all day. They gashed themselves. They did everything. Nothing happened. And then Elijah put the sacrifice on the altar and he drenched it with water and he prayed and the fire fell. And Jezebel said, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and even more. If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow, about this time. So probably one of the problems that Herod had is that he respected John. Herod was also a politician. And he knew that John was very popular with the people. And Josephus says that Herod was concerned that John would lead an insurrection against him. Barnes suggested there might have been a religious principle in play. Barnes said, Herod, though a wicked man, does not appear to have been insensible to some of the common principles of human nature. Now, here's what I think happened. Herod knew the Word of God. He had violated the Word of God. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when you grow up with respect for the Word of God, and then you live your life contrary to the word of God. What's the result? Guilt. See, people sometimes say, don't go down to that church, they make you feel guilty. No, nope, church doesn't make you feel guilty. You feel guilty because you're guilty. When we are brought up to have respect for what God's word says, and then we violate that, there is a sense of guilt. And I think that's what happened to Herod. There are also consequences to sin, always have been. When Adam and Eve sinned, there were consequences. The Bible says in Romans 5, 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Adam and Eve sinned, but there were consequences around the world because of their sin. The Bible says because of their sin, sin entered into the world, and because of sin there is Death. Why is there death? Because of sin. The wages of sin is death. And the Bible says that it infected all people. All have sinned. There were consequences for Herod's sin. 
As a matter of fact, in reading about Herod towards the end of his life, he became insanely suspicious. And he murdered member after member after member after member of his own family, including his father-in-law, the father of his wife, Herodias. It was said it is safer to be Herod's pig than his son. You see, because of the guilt, as a result of his sin, he became insane. And he began to murder people because of his guilt. Let me conclude. There are days that are strategic. Days of opportunity. Some for evil. And I say to you, and I hope that you will hear this. When you find yourself in the wrong place with the wrong people, doing the wrong things, Satan has set you up. Are you listening? When you find yourself in the wrong place with wrong people doing the wrong thing, you are set up for Satan to attack. It is a strategic day for Satan. Some days are strategic days for good. John Wesley had gone to chapel. He heard the message preached. And he said he felt strangely warmed. And his life changed. And he went out to change a nation for Christ. D.L. Moody heard the message that the world is yet to see someone totally committed to God. And he said, I'll be that man. And it was said of D.L. Moody that he stood with one foot in England and one in America and shook both continents for the cause of Christ. There are strategic days, some for evil, some for good. I believe today is a strategic day for you. An opportune day for you. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. My friend, this is a strategic time for you. This is a strategic moment for you to consider the claims of Christ. As you listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit drawing you to Christ... Will you listen to that voice? Or will you listen to the lie of Satan? Who says, God really didn't say that. That's not what he really meant. And that's not what will happen. Hell? There's no hell. Punishment? There's no punishment. Life after death? There's no life after death. Will you listen to the voice of Satan or will you listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit who calls you to Christ? This is a strategic day for you. How will you respond to it? Our gracious Father, I pray that as we come to a time of consideration, a time of invitation, 
that, Lord, we might listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. For those who have never come to know Jesus, I pray that they might be drawn to Christ today and trust Him, commit to Him. For those who have wandered off into sin, let them see, Father, that Satan has set them up and they're going down a path of destruction. Lord, I pray that this might be a strategic day in our lives as we respond to your call in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment, we will stand, the choir will sing, and the invitation is extended. If you're here without Jesus, I encourage you to trust him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. If you've just gotten away from the Lord and Satan is attacking you, then I pray today that you will come and, and dedicate anew your life to the Lord Jesus to serve him. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.